everybody. Welcome back to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, just want to tell you to head on over to all of our social media, get involved in the conversations. You can find us on Twitter at But Why Though PC, and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash But Why Though PC. And as always, check out our website, But Why Though Podcast dot com and check out all the amazing work that our writers are doing pumping out stories their feelings and uh, just getting some pop culture job uh, just getting the pop culture job done um if you want to support us even more head on over to our patreon patreon.com slash but why though pc enjoy the show water earth fire air long ago the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hey everyone, welcome back. And today we're talking about Nickelodeon's Avatar, The Last Airbender, and a little bit of The Legend of Korra and what that series has done for animation and us. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a special guest today, another pretty much member of our family here, but why though? Suara Saleh from the Beltway Banthas podcast. Hey guys, I am so excited to be here to talk about my favorite television series of all time. We are so excited to have you. <laughs> I'm actually really excited to talk about this because Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Legend of Korra mean a lot to me in so many different ways. I'm actually doing my Korra rewatch right now. Like I'm in season three already and I've watched this series like Avatar The Last Airbender maybe 10 times through in Legend of Korra like four or five times through and I, this series is brilliant I love it everyone should watch it it's the best series of all time in my opinion just my opinion but still, <laughs> it's like I love it it's so good. all right that's a wrap guys uh see you next week <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up we're done <laughs> as always you will have a lead person our avatar for today is going to be Adrian. He'll be taking us through this episode. Yeah, we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to go through um, a brief overview of kind of like the world in general. Talk a little bit about the premise of the two shows and then kind of get into some about why those. Uh, as usual, when I run my episodes, you know, this show has been out for almost 15 years. I'll keep it relatively spoiler-like because I think it's having just rewatched it and rewatching Legend of Korra now, like the, it ages really, really well. And I don't want to take any of the huge, huge moments away from anyone listening who listens and is like, "Hey, I want to go watch this show because it's really good." Um, so our intro question today, Swore kind of already answered part of it because uh, that's how excited he is. Uh, so our first question is going to be: How familiar are you with these two series? And if you were a bender, what kind would you be? And we'll start with Matt. So I know these shows exist. And that's about it. <laughs> I've never actually watched any episode or seen anything of this 
literally the answer would be if you were a bender, what kind of bender would you be? And I'd be the bender that says, bite my shiny metal ass. From <laughs> so you'd be a metal bender. You'd be a <laughs> yeah. bender. Yes, that's about, <laughs> that's about the only bender I know. So I'm about to learn a lot today. <laughs> you get along really well with Toph. I just want to say that. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're here, Matt. Ask lots of questions, and we will try to answer them to the best of our abilities with our knowledge of the show. Uh, what about you, Kate? Uh, yeah. So I have watched Avatar The Last Airbender a crap ton. I've probably watched it through at least four or five times. Um, I watched it when it was in its initial run on Nickelodeon as well. And I got to work at Hot Topic when we had a whole bunch of the merchandise. So that was really fun. Um, when it comes to bending, I'm going to have to say Earth, mainly because I love Toph. Um, and I just really like the martial arts style that goes like goes behind uh, earthbending, mostly because like I'm not graceful. So all the stomping is something that I would be very good at. I'm also fascinated, I guess, to do this. I did not know this was a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. really amazing, right? American made. Yep. So technically, it's not anime. It's Western. It's Japanese style animation in the West. It's like this really weird category. But this drawn is by South Koreans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Studio Mir specifically. It's very inspired by a lot of uh, East Asian anime, like Japanese and uh, Korean anime. And yeah, you see that consistently throughout the series, including in how the characters are drawn. Simply. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what about you, Yuswar? I know you've given a little bit about how much you love the two series, but if you were a bender, what would you be? I would absolutely be a waterbender. I love swimming. I love the ocean. I love the element of water generally. And, um, you know, I'm not sure. I've taken martial arts before, but never like Tai Chi, the martial art that waterbending is based off of. But still, like, I would still just want to manipulate water any way I can. And, I love Katara. She's my favorite character in Avatar The Last Airbender. And um, I think it would also like fits like uh, my general like uh, fighting philosoph philosophy really well, because what waterbending is about is about taking your opponent's energy and redirecting it back against them. So I really like that sort of balance overall. And yeah, Southern Water Tribe for life. I thought going into this episode, I thought 10 for 10, you were going to say air and the fact you said water oh, oh yeah super like, surprises me well th that's the thing like i my personality is much more aligned with airbender um i'm a vegetarian so that uh aligns really well but still like water water's where it's at for me i'd be like a water nomad instead of an air nomad i like that <laughs> uh and for me uh like kate i watched avatar the last airbender when it was on nickelodeon kind of like weekly and then uh, Legend of Korra, I watched up until about the second season. And then when they put it like on the streaming service and kind of like where the show was at at the time, I stopped watching it. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I kind of binged it all. And um, like there was since I've watched the Avatar, the last airbender itself a few times as well. I just finished my last rewatch yesterday. So I'm fresh on Avatar, the last airbender specifically. Um, the show is great. Really, really love it. If I was a bender, probably be earth i would like to be a firebender but i just think my personality is probably just more earth and See, uh i think i might be and now that i'm thinking about it, it might be like it might be you but inverse like i think my personality is like hyper aggressive like fire but i really want to be earth 
It's because you have all the spicy takes. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, exactly. If it's said on this episode, I can now make it a t-shirt. Yeah. A spicy spicy t-shirt. I thought for sure the spicy Latina in our, our podcast was going to say fire like 10 out of 10 too. So I'm just getting all <laughs> oh the guesses god. wrong today. <laughs> uh, great. So that's where we have a nice little, you know, uh, spectrum of um love and unknowing of the show so i'm hoping that at the end of this um all we get to share all of our love and then matt is excited enough to go watch it because i think matt would actually really really like it uh so for our brief overview so if you're going into this and you're like well what is benders or who is katara and all this stuff we're going to take about you know 10 minutes to kind of go through the series itself uh the world that it's in and kind of talk about that so the series itself is sit in a fictional universe in which some people can manipulate or bend uh, different elements such as water, earth, fire, or air by variants of Chinese martial arts styles. Um, this kind of like when, when I first watched the show, I think one of the, one of the biggest reasons why I liked it so much is because it reminded me a lot of um, Captain Planet and kind of like that basis of like each person's controlling a different thing. And I was like, oh, this is really up my alley. And rewatching it again, you kind of get a lot of those vibes too, of kind of like the, the harmony of like all the elements in it. And that's kind of what the show is based off of, uh, because there's only one person, the avatar, who can bend all four of the elements. And he's and he's responsible for maintaining balance in the world through the control of all those elements and his connection to the spirit world. Um, Do you know the individual, like which martial arts are what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do. It's uh, at the. Do you want to? You know, off the top of your head, swear? Because I was just gonna scroll down and. Yeah, I, I was like, yeah. if it's at the bottom, we can skip it and come come to it. Then I just know that's something that's always made me really happy because, like, I, they used yeah. to do like the side by side Nickelodeon videos. Those are yeah. so cool. I love those so much. Um, yeah. So. So first off, uh, water is based off of Tai Chi, which is a very slow martial art that isn't really used in actual combat, but sort of is like yoga that's used for meditation, exercise, and just good for your health overall. Um, earth is based off of Hungar, which uh, really focuses on strong rooted stances and strong defenses and uh, measured attacks like at your opponent. Uh, Northern Shaolin is fire, um, which actually one of the creators of the show, uh, Brian Konitsko, uh, practices himself. Um, it's based off of like really um, high kicks and jumps and leaps and the sort of style that you see in the show from the firebenders to produce these big uh, breaths of flame. And air is based off of Bagua, which is a sort of circle walking martial art where it's just very... Um, like dynamic and you're never staying still and it really um sort of uh make gives the feeling of like constant action the air basically so it's really cool how the creators were able to take these real martial arts and apply them to the four main elements in the real world in the natural world yeah yep to answer your question kate that's it Yes, it does. Answers it really, really well. Um, and I totally feel um, justified in saying there's a lot of stomping in uh, Hungar <laughs> and that I would there finish is. that because I have <laughs> high kicks. That much is yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. So the world itself is um, Asiatic-like, so it takes a lot of influences from imagery in East and um, South uh, Asian countries, Inuit and New World societies. 
um which is really which is really great because uh, i think like when you watch a lot of i mean obviously like this isn't considered you know anime but when you're watching anime i don't think you really get kind of like the visuals of that kind of culture in those for some reason i don't know if it's like like if it's like an americanizing kind of thing but watching going back and watching avatar the last airbender the scenery and everything just looks so distinctly different from yeah. uh each each um you know area like the airbend the airbenders temples are way different than you know the fire nation islands and things like that um and a lot of that's to do with them really just taking the imagery from different societies in asia and bringing those all in kind of like one encapsulating it all in one show which i think is phenomenally done um in the show chime in and say like it's so culturally eclectic and how you know the air nomads are based off of buddhist monks and the northern and southern uh water tribes are based off the inuits and the fire nations based off of japan and china especially imperialist japan and uh uh, uh, the Earth Kingdom is based off of China and Korea and a lot of its visuals. And what I love so much about this series is that the creators have taken so much care to take these specific aspects of all these various cultures and never once does it feel stereotypical. It feels like something that's really organic and lived in. And I love it so much. Sorry, I just want to say that. <laughs> I'm going to ask about the balance in the world. What exactly does that mean? Uh, so you talking about like the avatars, like purpose, like in the world, of, I guess of balance? maintaining balance in the world. Does that mean we have to have peace in all the world? Or does that just mean there has to be a set of balance of equilibrium? Um, just kind of like an equilibrium balance is cause you can't, you know, take all the bad away from everything, but, uh, avatar, the last airbender specifically like getting out all of, you know, it's been bad for so long and he kind of has to put it back into balance. So, um the avatar himself to give you a little background on like what 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 an avatar is is again like he he or she uh is the master of all four elements the only person who could use all four elements and is basically just reincarnation every time they die so when one dies there's a cycle of the avatars and it goes in the same cycle basically throughout the whole thing so it starts in the fire nation then it's an air nomad, then it goes to the water tribe and then to the earth kingdom and so on and so forth. Uh, basically throughout uh, all time, unless something breaks the line of, of avatars. So the avatar uh, cycle can only be broken if the avatar is killed in the avatar state. And basically what the avatar state is, it's a defense mechanism that puts the avatar in like supreme control and basically like heightens up all their abilities. It's basically like super Saiyan avatar, uh, it's probably the easiest way to explain it. Uh, they gain all the knowledge and abilities of all the past avatars until the uh, avatar state has passed. Um, like I said, even though they're the most powerful in the avatar state, if they're killed, the reincarnation cycle stops and the avatar won't be reborn again. So even when they're at the most powerful, they're also at the most vulnerable in that state. And the avatar can learn to control that, but it takes like a lot of time and things like that to be able to to do it. And just only really ever happens in like extreme peril and and things of that nature. So it's, not, so it's different from like Super Saiyan where they just do it all the time because to beat people, they try to avoid using it as much as they can. Hmm. So for the two series themselves, they're just, I think they're pretty different in terms of like tonally different. Um, and a lot of it has to come just from like the time periods there. And then I guess like kind of what the showrunners are trying to get across in different shows so avatar the last airbender which is the first show 
follows Ong. Just kidding. We're not going <laughs> to do this. Not pronunciation. <laughs> oh my god. Twelve-year-old Airbender. Counter for how many times that that gets dropped. Yeah, twelve-year-old uh, Airbender Ang and his friends, who are primarily a brother and sister from the Southern Water Tribe, Katara and Sokka, um, who found Ang trapped in ice for a hundred years. Um, they all, basically, the three of them are going throughout the world and trying to bring peace and unity because the fire nation has been waging a hundred year war against the other three nations. And the whole, the three seasons that it runs is basically helping Aang, who is the last of his people master the four elements so he can um, take on the fire Lord and, end the fire nations kind of like tyrannical rule of, of the world. The seasons themselves ran from 2005 to 2008 on Nickelodeon, and it was basically an instant hit. Like it was immediately Nickelodeon, one of Nickelodeon's most high, highest rated shows. Um, I know the date, uh, the ranking is a little dated, obviously, but it's 35 on IGN's top 100 animated series. It's won multiple Annie Awards and a Peabody Award. It's been syndicated in over 105 countries, and the series finale, Sozin's Comet, which is like a big three-parter episode, uh, averaged 5.6 million views on its premiere, which is pretty good for a show on Nickelodeon. Um, but it's basically just a cartoon. That's not like, and it's marketed to kids. It's not genuinely marketed to adults and things like that. So it did really, really well. Any questions on that, Matt? So basically, since we have these elemental, I guess, the eight different elemental, do they counteract each other? Like water would then beat fire, per se, uh, where you have wind would beat earth, or then or earth would beat water. Yeah. And the air beats, or fire beats air, I believe. Yeah, it doesn't work like Pokemon in that sort of way. It's actually really something that the series from Avatar to Legend of Korra consistently reiterates is that it's the skill of the individual bender who's uh, that determines the outcome of a fight, you know, who's going to win. And uh, at certain times, firebenders may be stronger. For example, firebenders are stronger during the day when they have the sun to give them more energy, like literally a great ball of fire in the sky, giving them heat, like heating them up to <laughs> power them up. Whereas, um, waterbenders are stronger at night with the moon and especially during the full moon like when there's a high tide specifically because waterbending is based off of a sort of push and pull of the water that's like the most basic sort of waterbending and the original waterbender in their mythology is the moon itself for ex for um exercising its gravitational waves on the water and you know going up and down pushing and pulling the water and um yeah, for airbend, and it also really depends on your environment. Like, for example, a waterbender will typically be stronger in a river or like next to the ocean or something. An airbender will be stronger um, in a wide open space where an earthbender will be stronger, you know, with a lot of earth around, which is mostly everywhere. So, earthbenders <laughs> might have earth an around. advantage. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but, um, or firebenders, again, like if they're around a lot of heat. So, it really depends. And I think the series does a really great job of balancing that out consistently throughout and yeah and, and i think to like maths like to kind of like build off of what suara said there are instances where they realize that certain bending techniques aren't working against a certain bender because they are feeding that bender um it happens with ang with uh, ang and zuko a lot 
Um, so they kind of have to adjust to each other and learn what works and what doesn't. Um, but like Zuko's not an automatic win and he he's the a fire a firebender over Aang who's a, an airbender. Um, so it doesn't work like that, but it does like kind of factor in a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yep. I think those are perfect answers. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. That's basically how it is. <laughs> um, basically, if you're better, you could find ways to fight and, and win, basically. Yeah. Um, like, if you're an awesome waterbender, a small pouch of water around you in the desert, you'll still kick ass with that tiny pouch of water. Yeah, basically. Katara! Yeah. <laughs> so, um, then we move on to the Legend of Korra, which is the uh, sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender. And this series follows Avatar Korra, who is the the direct reincarnation of Aang from the previous series. And she faces political and spiritual unrest in a modernizing world. Uh, basically, at this point, it's kind of like Industrial Revolution. It's a lot of kind of like steampunk. Um, in the Avatar The Last Airbender, like metal and things like that aren't super known. Uh, the Fire Nation is barely starting to like make steam engines and things like that. But now, 70 years later in Legend of Korra, it's a much more um, common thing to see things like that. So she's in a completely different world than, than Aang is in in the previous series. And um, this one, as the name would suggest, it's much more focused on kind of like her journey throughout the series and from kind of brash um, and broody to kind of a complete and total spiritual avatar throughout the um, from start to finish. And in this one, it's directly related to the the original series. So you get lots of callbacks from characters. You know, you have sons and daughters, the former characters from Avatar, the last airbender. Um, we get to see Aang because as, uh, we mentioned earlier all the avatars are connected so Korra talks to Aang could we get older Aang and things like that throughout the series so this was always really nice to see throughout the four seasons that it runs from 2012 to 2014 um just a, a note that the legend of Korra has more seasons but Avatar the Last Airbender has more episodes because uh the three seasons of Avatar the Last Airbender run like 20 plus episodes, whereas Legend of Korra is more of a mini series and only has about 13 to 14 on average per season. Yeah. Um, Sorry, also fun fact, Legend of Korra was originally just going to be one season. Yeah. Like the first, yeah. And like Michael Martino and um, Brian Knitsko were actually surprised by the amazing response it got. And like uh, they made a deal with Nickelodeon to get more seasons which was really awesome. <laughs> yeah, and give us our Netflix series because uh, we, we we deserve it. Yeah. Um, so The Legend of Korra didn't quite have the view viewership as After the Last Airbender did. The first season really did, but it kind of dropped off really, really hard um, in the second through fourth seasons. Um, so much so that Nick decided to shift the seasons to like an online outlet instead of putting it on cable where it had you know a little bit better results. Um, despite like the lack of viewership, it still won multiple Annie awards. It won, uh, multiple awards for IGN and also won awards with the NAACP for its characters and story development, uh, for the things what? that it does in the, in the show. Yeah. Because, yeah, because Cora is a character of color. She comes from the Southern water tribe. So yeah, you know, Brown's and stuff. Sorry. I just want to make a point about, um, 
what Nickelodeon did when they put it online, that pissed me off so much. I was like, <laughs> you know, at first it was in the middle of season three. So what happened before this, we got season two and I think the ratings were still like pretty strong overall. Adrian, you're right. They weren't as high as season yeah. one. That's for most for most series generally. And what Nickelodeon did first off, they announced that season three of Korra was coming out like maybe two months or so after season two came out. I thought, oh, this is awesome. Like, you know, I get to, we're getting season three so much sooner than we usually would. But then I realized, oh, wait, they've done like little to no marketing for this. And then in the middle of season three, they make a announcement out of nowhere that, hey, we're moving Quora online. It's not canceled, but you'll still be able to see it online. And like, again, like they were sort of just trying to shelve it to somewhere because they actually knew and figured out that a lot of people were illegally downloading the show. They found like a lot of Quora watchers are actually adults and not so much kids on like the main Nickelodeon channel. So mainly the adults were like finding it online and watching it. So what Nick decided to do was like, okay, we're just going to put it online instead so you can watch it, but we won't have to worry about the rings anymore or give proper promotion for it. So thankfully Cora has still lived on in a lot of ways, but the way that Nickelodeon handled it was honestly just a travesty. If you want to have those strong ratings for Cora then you should have marketed it just as much as you did seasons one and two. That's like my interpretation generally. And it just like overall just makes me really mad how Nickelodeon handled it. And I, I'm grateful that they produced Avatar Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, but I can't forgive them for like how they treated it in the end. It's, it's okay. We're here now. And now we, now you get to talk about it and you have a, you have an yeah. avenue to, to voice, to voice your anger. Thanks, guys. <laughs> also, one of those that I thought was interesting because one, I know a lot of people love this show. Obviously, from listening to you two, I did not actually realize that this is only one that it started in two thousand and five. It was that recent, and the fact that it's only two shows that are basically seven years apart, and they only run for basically three seasons each, or yeah. four seasons that are very short. The staying power of this series is incredible and yeah. the amount, degree to which people love it. Like, guys, I love this basically as much as I love Star Wars, <laughs> you know, like I just, and in some ways I think it does a lot of things better than Star Wars, you know, like, yeah. I, I just like, it, it's I an think, amazing series. Yeah. I think one of the good things about it is it took a lot of the, like, the Eastern, like the East Asian, like um, animation styles. But what it left out a lot is you don't find a lot of filler and you have a lot of concise story building, uh, story and character building throughout everything. Like I would personally say that one of the reasons why I've watched Avatar so many times is when you watch through it a bunch of time, you realize that characters show up again and again and again and like not only that but almost every character that pops up has a story attached to them they're not just there um like as like the smallest characters will end up influencing things or you know at least you you understand the entire universe and you feel immersed in it and they do it concisely and in you know in a small number of episodes yep completely agree um and with that, I'll rush these last forms of 
media that Legend of Korra and The Last Airbender cover. And then we'll get into some of the why those, because one of the first ones is definitely is the storytelling aspects of the series. So uh, outside of their TV, uh, TV, TV, (laughs) okay. Uh, Outside of the TV series, Avatar, The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra both have graphic novels. Jesus. Not easy, is it, Adrian? I just want to talk about the why those. Um, (laughs) So Avatar, The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra both have graphic novels through Dark Horse that basically continue after the respective series. So you get a little bit of background on some of the unanswered questions kind of. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender specifically kind of bridges that gap between those 70 years that we don't get to really see and answer some of those questions that we kind of get cliffhangered on in the final episode of this um, the season, uh, season three. Um, the Legend what of Korra. What happened to Zuko's mom? Huh? I, I, what, what happened to Zuko's mom? Sorry. Huh? Yeah. Uh, go read it. It's very sad. Uh and I don't want to talk about it because it's very sad. And Zuko's mom is the best. She's 10 out of 10 the best also, mom. This show is also super emotional. Like, yeah, I have definitely. so many feels watching this show. So many feelings. And definitely. every character is so relatable. And you just care about them all so much. Okay, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. All right. All right. Okay. So, and after season one of Legend of Korra, it was put into uh, two books. That's what kind of all we got from that. Both of them have video games. And then there was a movie done by M. Night Shyamalan about Avatar The Last Airbender, which I it was personally the think. movie ever made. I Wait, there was a movie. And <laughs> will die on this hill that it is the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Wait, Adrian, what is this? I've never heard of such a, as an <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is. I've blotted it from my memory. Adaptation of any media I've ever seen. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if Dragon Ball Evolution is worse because I didn't watch it's Dragon worse. Ball Evolution. It's worse. Uh, it's worse. This is like second. <laughs> this is second to last or second to worst. Dragon Ball Evolution is worst. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, sorry, so, sorry. Sorry. Can I just say, has there ever been a good American anime adaptation? Like into a movie? Yeah. Live action. Live action. Yeah. That's what I mean. Live action adaptation. Death Note is a hot piece of garbage, too, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't think of one. Yeah. And this show was made by Americans, and it was still bad. Uh, it's movie. terrible. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about why it's terrible at the very end. It basically covers um, the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender, which is probably, like, like a really good season, and, like, the third act should have been so good, but it was terrible. Okay, I'm done with that, because I don't want to talk about it, because I'm going to start getting angry. Because M. Light Shyamalan does not care about us as well, see, Avatar fans. Well, and that's the thing. He so, like, not. when I was telling people to go watch this movie, I was like, his kids love this movie. You know he's going to do it service because his kids love it. And it just, I was, nope. Do his kids hate him now? Probably. I don't know, I but I would. <laughs> or he's, like, just going for, like, an ultra-long con and just trying to troll the shit out of his own kids. Which, oh in, God. like, that case is an awesome, terrible thing to do. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Physical pain for Sora. For those of you who can't see his face. Physical pain. I'm in physical pain. (laughs) I hate you, M. Night Shyamalan, so much. Um, Yes, he does have a movie worse than The Happening. Uh, (laughs) You mean The Village, right? 
I don't know. They're all so bad. They're not so all simple, bad. You I mean, just really have a bad taste. In no, movies. as a horror fan, he does a lot to. I'm just saying those three movies. Come on, guys, let's talk about horror. Avatar. Come on. <laughs> M Night Shyamalan matters. Not really. He does <laughs> actually because it's all like the little multiple break twist things. <laughs> this is a different episode. Bringing ah. my, my cardboard cutout for that one. Same. Uh, okay, so some, but why those four Avatar? So we're going to start off with, and anyone who's listened to any episode that I've ever ran on this episode or on this podcast, I love storytelling, and the thing I love most about storytelling is world building. And Avatar: The Last Airbender, from the get go, builds off such an easy premise that their intro basically gives you everything you need to know about the about the series. Matt, have you ever listened to the intro? Like, do you know what the intro says? No. Let's do the intro, Adrian. Let's do the intro right now. Water. I'll let you. I'll let you do it because I know you'll be so much more excited about it than I than I will. Go Fine. for it. Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. <laughs> the music is so good, too. And then it it's goes so off. Good. It's so good. Thank you. And, I, I, and that's I, basically I, the intro, and Sword just nailed it. That's I, that, that, I, that was I, it. I've literally rehearsed it a thousand times. I kid you not. <laughs> I love this show so much. Um, so it just it gives you the world straight away. There's four nations. The Fire Nation's doing bad stuff, and Aang has to stop them with the help of Katara and Sokka. Like, what else do you need? Um, and the greatest thing about it is that from that simple premise, every single episode builds off of that premise. So you get to see the the, the you get to see this world through the eyes of Aang, who has been in basically a ball of ice for a hundred years and has no idea what the world is like now. And the siblings, Katara and Sokka, because they have never left the North Pole or left the South Pole. So as we're seeing these new areas, we're seeing it as like, we don't know what this is either. So their interactions of their like um, naivety of all this stuff really helps like me as the watcher be like, oh, okay, this is why this is like this. This is why this is like this. Oh, okay. This happened in like the history from like the hundred years. So it builds it super well. And it's never too kind of like, this is too much information overload. It's very, very simple and straightforward in what it's trying to get across in that. That sound fair? Yeah. What it does. So yeah, what it does so well is that it distills all of these complex sociopolitical topics and things and trends that we observe in world history, such as colonialism, such as, um, you know, prejudice, such as sexism, such as traditionalism versus modernism. It takes all of this and distills it in such a way that little kids can understand what's going on or that like adults will still really enjoy. And particularly with the media that I love, I love media that can cut across like sort of age boundaries and that little kids can enjoy it, that teenagers can enjoy it, that adults can enjoy it. And Avatar, I think is a perfect example of that. So what exactly is like the anti-bender movement? 
Can you wait till he gets to it? Well, he was just working his way in there, I thought. <laughs> no, I you know, think that, that... Swar was just talking. I don't think Swar... Oh, I literally <laughs> thought Swar just took a cue and went to the whole next issue. <laughs> oh, like, I mean, like, it's related. It's through Avatar The Last Airbender to Legend of Korra. And, you know, like, with the Fire Nation, you have a prime example of an imperialist power that's, like, really oppressing the rest of the I world. I know this, but this is just... Like, it's coming from his brain. Oh, okay. His brain is leading the episode. Or <laughs> Speaking of me, Spar said, I'm taking the next. This is how it works. I got this. I've done enough episodes with Spar to know that I just need to put a few words on there and he will just flow through all of my points <laughs> See? very smoothly. Very eloquently, too. Yeah. I thought it was perfectly well transitioned. I thought it was great. Well, I know yeah. somebody who know this and then it's the anti bender movement. Well, but you don't know anything. But about let's it. talk about the anti bender movement because that is something very interesting. In season one of Legend of Korra, which takes place 70 years after the end of the Hundred Year War, um, you have a certain subset of people in the main setting of Legend of Korra, um, Republic City, non-benders who feel as though a lot of the world's problems have been a, resu a result of bending, a result of powerful people uh, duking heads to try to gain more land or more resources or more power, and the common man will often be left in the middle and suffering. And you know, these benders, these are not, some of these non-benders feel as though, hey, has the Avatar really done anything good for us? Um, maybe we need to take more of the power back for ourselves. And it's really compelling. And it's really based off of um, communism and how that arose in like the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, it's, again, done in a really uh, succinct and um, pointed way that anyone can understand. Like that Suara just dropped communism on a Nickelodeon show. Well, this, yeah. this show was so good. <laughs> this show was not so wrong. good. Yeah, like big, not wrong I didn't all. say he was wrong. I just said I thought it was. <laughs> the themes are certainly there. Um, and he's right. Like they do present. Because, I mean, regardless of like if adults are watching it, like it's still on Nickelodeon. Like it's still marketed to be a, you know, a kid's cartoon sh show to watch, you know. Friday nights on Nickelodeon. Uh, but they, they do tackle like these really, really big issues. Um, and another one, another big one outside of like social political issues is they really do tackle kind of technology versus nature or just kind of just in general taking care of nature versus kind of um, using up natural resources. And that's very pointed, especially like in today's times where we can't get uh, global warming mentioned at the State of the Union address these days. Um, so you really get that. First, with the Fire Nation, the Fire Nation is kind of just like burning through uh, resources and burning through lands. And you kind of see the upset that does with like the spiritual realm, because the world that we're talking about is like runs parallel with a spiritual world. And once one's out of balance, the spirit world kind of like lashes back against that. And that's kind of where like the big pointed thing for the Fire Nation um, in last Air Avatar, the last airbender is that. And basically all of Legend of Korra is them dealing with this kind of like industrial movement and kind of being out of balance, just getting away from nature almost entirely and kind of like the spirits like lashing back specifically in the second season for sure. So you get multiple themes, not just outside of like colonialism and things like that. You also get some real world things of like recycle your stuff or a giant panda is going to come spirit. Panda is going to come take your kids away from you basically. <laughs> Which I will say the colonialism, like the colonialism, anti-colonialism, colonialism and post-colonialism that they show in this show is like on point as somebody who studied that crap. Like 
it, it is on point. Like I can, if I was teaching a class in college about these things, I would pick different episodes of Last Airbender and show it to them. So it's done so well again. And uh, Adrian, talking about um, technology versus, you know, traditionalism, again, that's a through line throughout the entire series. And I think more pointedly so in Legend of Korra, because Aang's journey is really about defeating the Fire Nation, defeating the Fire Lord. It's a basic good versus evil plot. But Korra and the villains that she faces are all about that struggle between the advancing technological world, the increasing egalitarian world, as we mentioned with the equalists, uh, and the non-benders I was talking about, the anti-bending revolution, and uh, still maintaining tradition and that sort of spiritual balance with the world. Yeah, I like it. I think you're completely right. Um, and then, because I knew that topic was going to get a little heavy um, and very... We have Kate, who's a scholar, so I knew it was going to get very scholarly very quickly. So I also wanted to throw in some other fun stuff that the world builds, is that they have really, really cool animals in this world that I wish existed in ours. I'm more uh, excited about these cute animals than I am about <laughs> colonialism. And I'm just going to say that right there. As you should be. <laughs> yeah, so there's like a whole bunch of kind of different animals, um, and I'll list some of them, and I can let just, I'll just let your imagination picture what they are, Matt. Um, so they have uh, things called platypus bears, which are giant bears that kind of look like platypus. Uh, an armadillo. So do they lion. lay eggs? They do lay eggs. Cool. That's another thing, Matt. <laughs> the science in the show is pretty on point. Like, regardless yeah, like, it of it being a kid show, like, the, they do make the platypus bear lay eggs. Like, it, one of them gets scared and it lays an egg runs, and it runs away. And you I actually learn a lot about these animals too, because it goes back to the whole nature and technology thing. Like as exactly. um, as Aang, Katara, and Sokka go through this, they actually meet these animals and learn about them and sometimes save them. Yeah. Can I just say, I really think that Matt's favorite character would be Sokka. Why? Because they're both like smart scientist guys who love to rationally explain the world. I feel like Sokka would annoy him because Sokka's really? like kind of stupid what no Sokka just doesn't have a lot of common sense but he's really smart yeah and, and i feel like, really that, would, I feel like that would annoy matt okay because i don't have a lot of common sense and i annoy matt <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 fair enough, fair enough. but the science part and like the he yeah. has to be the most logical out of everybody because he does not have bending to fall back on that's true but Sokka is also very interested in math and science and explaining the technological world and the, again the way they explain scientific facts like in season or all of uh, avatar the last airbender from Sokka and his talking about engineering and stuff is honestly really cool. And I learned stuff from it when I first watched it. Yeah. It was great. Very true. Yeah. Tell I thought platypus bears like eggs. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's armadillo lions. There That's are co koala sheep. <laughs> Uh, there's koala sheep. I think there's koala pigs too, if I there remember correctly. Pigs. Yeah, uh, saber toothed mouse lions, which look really dope. Moose uh, lions. Yeah, my... poops. Yeah. Wait, what? My... Foo foo cuddly poops. <laughs> that one baby moose lion. <laughs> yeah. My my fa my personal favorite turtle ducks are super cute. Uh, <laughs> giant badger moles, which uh, consequently taught. 
earthbending to humans. So even though they're just animals, some of them do mm-hmm. possess the ability to do a lot of this cool bending stuff. Yeah. Uh, also why I want to be an earthbender so I can get taught <laughs> by a giant badger mole how to earthbend. You want to be taught so badly. I yeah. do. <laughs> Yeah, like Earth, Earth. Uh, the first Earthbenders were badger moles. The first Firebenders were dragons. The first Airbenders were air bisons, and for Waterbenders, the first um, Waterbenders were the moon and the ocean, which take the form of two koi fish in the Northern Water Tribe. So that's sorry, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but that's interesting. <laughs> the more yeah. you know, and so- consequently, they're the only ones who can get their bending taken away by like killing spirits, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really sad. So some of these are not hard to imagine, except possibly the flying bison. <gasps> it's so he's my cute! Favorite. He's my second favorite. Uh, he's a flying uh, bison, and he's like a huge bison, but he has like a beaver tail. But he has like he's a head of a bison. Yeah, he has like he's, six he's, legs. He's huge. He's he, uh, he's Aang's spirit animal guide named he's Appa. adorable! And he's also based off of... How does he fly? He airbends. He's an airbender. Oh, yeah. He uses his tail to, like, swish the air to propel him upward. His tail, which is based off of a manatee. He's also based off of manatee as well as a bison. I like well, it. In this picture, he's, like, half pug with a tongue sticking out. <laughs> That's just fan art. I don't care. It, it It's a headcanon. Yeah, Op is great. Um, and then you also have polar bear dogs, which is just basically a giant dog who's, like, a polar bear face. Uh and I mentioned that because Naga is Cora's spiritual animal guide, and she's huge. And Stefani wants to rename Blossom to Naga now. <laughs> so that's where we're at right now. So like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna cosplay as Cora, uh, Cora, and then just we'll just bring Blossom to the convention, and she'll be my my Naga. I love it. <laughs> Basically, like like the the animals in this world are so diverse and crazy that. There are like normal animals that we we have in every, our everyday life, but they're kind of surprised with them. So there's this one scene where they're invited to go have um, dinner with um, uh, with, with the king at the palace, and they say that they're he's having a a banquet for his bear, and they're like, "You mean a platypus bear?" And he's like, "No, just a bear." Like, you mean a skunk bear? Like, no, just a bear. Like, no, an armadillo bear, gopher bear. Like, no, it's just a bear, and like. Just by that, by them saying that, they're like, "Oh, this place is weird. Like they just have regular bears. Like what is this?" Um, <laughs> That's how you know Bossing Say is evil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the bear is cute though. He has like a little hat and everything. He's a cute bear. <laughs> he's a cute bear. But what's Momo? A... What type of animal? Momo's is a flying flying lemur. Yeah, he's yeah. just a flying lemur. Momo's yeah, he's a lemur who flies. He's cute. I like Momo. Yeah, based off a of lemur and a bat. Communism, colonialism, yeah. and cute animals. It's the three C's of any good show. <laughs> yeah, basically. And that's why this show is so great in its world building. Um, and then from that, you get really, really great characters. We've talked a lot about them um, kind of organically throughout, but just kind of kind of hit on the points. So you have great characters, and like Kate mentioned earlier, really great character development, even with characters who aren't the Avatar. So despite the name of the shows, some of my favorite characters are not the two avatars that we we talk about um mm. this is particularly i think it does i it's where i can talk about it a little bit more in legend of Korra, mm-hmm. just because i know that he he's more fresh on watching it but be watching avatar the last airbender they do such a good job of showing side character journeys mm-hmm. throughout 
Um, I think a good reason why they're able to do that is that Avatar has Avatar the Last Airbender itself has more episodes. So I think they're able to kind of go through and have those kind of like filler, those filler episodes. I do, you know, bunny ear quotes here for filler episodes, because like Kate said, you see all those characters again in the last season, you're seeing characters you haven't seen since season one, kind of come back and kind of join mm-hmm. the fight against the fire nation. And, it's and you kind of into the story. Yeah. Is, and you care yeah. about them because of what you saw them do in the past. I mean, you even have uh, one of my favorite episodes with Appa who, um, you know, gets mm-hmm. taken away from the main group. And basically it's the whole so episode sad. is like, what happened to Appa while he was separated from the group. There's, there's Naga yelling. I'll just like take this moment to say, like, I actually think my favorite episodes of Avatar are not episodes that focus on Aang. Like, yeah. hands down. Like, I think my favorite, obviously the Toph-centered ones, but my favorite by far is the dynamic relationship between Uncle Iroh and Zuko. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Iroh is probably, like, my second favorite character with just how well he's done. And Uncle, Uncle Iroh is literally just this, like, spoiled kid's uncle who's teaching him through life. And, like, you get to see them go through, like, the pitfalls and the triumphs and then the pitfalls again. And it's, like, it's, it's, it's amazing. So and, I do got a quick... Yeah. So obviously we don't really know per se, but could this be one of the reasons that the movie was so bad? Was because they try to yep. jumble all this into a movie instead of letting it play out over like you yeah. said almost thirty plus episodes? Mm, I don't know. I think like Partially, they're yeah. um for the first movie, I don't think so, because like all of the big stuff big stuff that comes into play happens like in the last season. They could have easily done that first season in just a movie. I think they could they could have done that one fine because the first season is just more of them kind of like gelling together and things like that. You don't get a lot of the side characters until the later parts of the first season and to the second season. So it's there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that movie sucks. But I don't well, think I that that's, was the premise of just like we could shows a lot of like side characters that if you try to portray that in a movie with limited time and limited everything else, it can. But I will say this, like to that point, I think one of the reasons I really hated it is because the characterizations in that movie are so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, well. that, that's it right there. Like the characters aren't done like how the characters are in the show. Not necessarily like because there was too much for them to show. They just didn't do the characters correctly. And, basically. and they're little things. They're like tiny little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's an, another look. Yeah, and there's another one of my points is that all the characters are pretty multidimensional. They're not all like one note mm-hmm. characters. Uh, throughout, even like in deep down to the side characters, characters. I think a perfect example of that is Sokka. Like um, we talked about a little bit earlier about he is kind of like the comic relief, goofy person of like Team Avatar, but he also turns out to be a brilliant military strategist by the end of the show. Um, And he does all of this without bending. And it's a big character jump from like the first episode of Avatar The Last Airbender, where he's basically telling Katara, his sister, that she can't do anything because she's a girl, basically. Like, she can't fish because she's a girl. Uh, because all of, he's, like, the only man in the tribe because everybody else went off to go fight in the Hundred Year War. Um, but by the end, he has a, mil- he's a military strategist and a girlfriend who can kick his ass, basically. Yeah, by- he grows a lot. Yeah, like, um, I really love how in season one, when he meets his... Uh, you know, girlfriend Suki, um, like in episode four of season one, it literally just like cuts down his sexism, like really effectively. And you really see him learn a lot through the woman he travels with, uh, you know, his sister Katara, who grows a lot in her own journey and Toph, obviously, who, you know, like, it just is incredibly badass and just won't take any like shit. <laughs> and, 
I love Toph. She's amazing. My favorite characters are Katara, Toph, and then Uncle Iroh and Zuko. Like those four characters in Avatar, The Last Airbender, are, and I love Sokka too, but still, those four, or all of them, really. Like, we're waiting for it. We're waiting for you to say all of them. Six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and another big thing about, about the characters, and um, and I'm gonna, I'm going to take a little shot at uh star wars here um the the, the characters the characters fail a lot in both of these series but the failure is done so well and it's believable Mm -hmm. that um i don't think it's a detriment to the story at all so in avatar the last airbender hardly any of their plans to beat the fire nation um, ever ever work and they end up running away from like a lot of things because they're getting beat because they are at the end of the day you know at the start they're only three kids trying to take down an entire you know colonial mm-hmm. army that is the fire nation and legend of the in, in legend of Korra, Korra gets manipulated a lot and makes a lot of mistakes basically throughout the entirety of the thing but she learns for them um quite and she's more bit. and honestly in my opinion i find her way more relatable than ang Korra is my favorite character throughout this entire series and while i love ang his like overall plot in after the last airbender is about gaining the confidence to be the avatar Whereas Korra, it's the opposite. She loves being the Avatar. She starts out with a lot of confidence and she makes mistakes. She's overconfident and she has sincere insecurities. And I find that more relatable. I find that to be like, that's all of us. We all want to appear as though we're, we know what we're doing and that we can, um, you know, like do the job very effectively, but we all make mistakes and we learn from them. And I think the real struggle is like learning to learn from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, we can kind of jump into a little bit of that. So I think another big thing about these shows, obviously they're called avatar avatar. They're about the avatar. So the hero's journey that both of these avatars go through is a super big part of character development. Um, and for Aang's perspective, he's only 12 years old. He's the last of his people because the Fire Nation wiped out all of the other Earth, all of the other Airbenders because they knew the next Avatar was going to be an Airbender based on the cycle of the Avatar. So they killed them all. He was the last one. Uh, he has like the fate of the world on his shoulders and has to grapple with the changed world in 100 years, um, the change in the world that's gone on in 100 years. He's he feels responsible for since he wasn't there to prevent it. And dealing with all the situations while still trying to, like, be true to himself in the way of, you know, the airbender, the way of the monk, which is now, you know, a long dead way of doing things. So he grapples with a lot of that. And then uh, Sora kind of went through Korra's journey. through. So they're basically, obviously, almost like polar opposite uh, characters. So you get different perspectives from both of the shows in the hero's journey um, in both shows. And... Another great thing that I really, really love about this, and I'll let Sora talk about the kind of hero, yeah. uh, the villain redemption in Legend of Korra, but the villain redemption in Avatar The Last Airbender with Zuko, who is the exiled prince of the Fire Lord, is probably the best redemption arc of any character I've seen it in is. just about everything. Um, I, another I shot at Star Wars. Completely. Huh? I co-signed that completely. Yeah, and another shot I saw was like, if you're gonna redeem, redeem, you know, Kylo Ren in you know this next movie, take a look on how well they did Zuko's character exactly. here. 
um, because it's not just, uh, oh, something happens. Okay, now I'm good, and now everyone accepts me. Like He struggles to get to that place, and he's not even accepted outright when he does finally come to terms with being a good person, what I think is how it would be. Like If you're going to try and kill someone forever, they're not going to accept you just because yeah. you did one good deed. And he um, fails at yeah. being good. Like, yeah, and he fails at like being, being good, good. yeah. Like his natural thing, he has to work at it, yeah. and it kind of works to show that like everybody has to work at being good because he he wants to be good, but that like sometimes being good is the complete opposite of what you want to do, and like him making those steps to do that is one of the reasons, like one why Katara doesn't trust him mm-hmm. because he's been trying to kill them, and then two like his struggle of like overcoming that and like having to be like second nature, and he is always trying to do what he perceives to be good. He thinks that it is his duty to capture the Avatar, that to regain his honor, to serve the Fire Nation, and to be a dutiful son to his abusive father. But he realizes through his journey and seeing the damage that the Fire Nation has inflicted on the world, you know, like that, hey, maybe this isn't the right path, but still he may lapse into uh, some of uh, those bad tendencies, but again, like once he's in a certain state of mind, he learns from his mistakes and he reflects on it diligently. And then again, Kate, just like you said, he tries to be good, but he fails at it because he doesn't really know how to do it. But he allows, you know, his new friends to help ease him into that, you know, going on a night, a uh, spiritual um, or enlightening field trip with Zuko, you know, for a couple of episodes. And those, those episodes are done so, so well. Like it's really again, I love the writing in the show so much, and Zuko, like you relate to him so well. You know whether he's on the Fire Nation side, whether he's on his own side, whether he's on the Avatar side, consistently throughout, because you know we've all dealt with the same doubts and insecurities that Zuko has. You know, in a lot of ways, I see him like Korra, like that for the reasons I was talking about earlier, and he is such an incredible three dimensional character that is always sympathetic and you know adrian you mentioned kylo ren in star wars and he's like you know i recently wrote about this on the but why though blog that kylo ren is like the most divisive star wars character ever you either love him or you absolutely viscerally hate him whereas with someone like zuko from the way he's been written from the onset has been incredibly sympathetic and like i applaud brian Knitzko and michael DiMartino for giving us this amazing character. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the reasons why his character is done so well is because he's paired with good old uncle Iroh, um, who is the father, uh, the father Lord. Uh, (laughs) I watched an episode where he called him the father Lord yesterday. Now I can't stop thinking (laughs) of the father Lord. Uh, I mean, that's the the point, right? (laughs) Uh, The fire Lord's older brother, general Iroh is my favorite character in the entire show. Um, and his arc is just phenomenal too. You, you go through his arc without like really going through it. You kind of go through it by kind of like them telling the story about him. He's he's already gone through kind of like his his own like spiritual journey of going from being the general of the Fire Nation and literally being on the doorsteps of taking over the Earth Kingdom in uh, his father's war to basically renouncing Fire Nation and kind of like what they're doing. Um, because of the death because of the death of his son and basically becoming like the wise voice of reason throughout the entire um 
series, even into the second series where he's basically such a good dude that he gets to chill in the spirit world uh, after he's dead because he's such a good person. Um, and he just drops like the best knowledge, I think, in all of the show. And everybody gets to get imparted with his knowledge from um, Toph in a random episode to to Zuko to uh, Avatar Aang in it. So like, and Korra gets it in Legend of Korra. So he's kind of like the through line through both of the series and kind of like the voice of reason. He's he's Yoda of this, but cooler. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he has like on. the best one-liners too. Oh yeah, best one-liners, and he's funny. Yeah. He cracks jokes. Yeah. He's like, and he's kind of like that stereotypical like old man in the anime genre mm-hmm. without all the pervy stuff. Basically, oh my god, yeah. oh my <laughs> god, no, no, Master Roshi. Oh, yeah, can I, can I just say? Can I just say? I don't really like Master Roshi. Uh, is yeah, that bad yeah, to Master Roshi. Yeah, Max Roshi's terrible. Like, he's, yeah, not he's, a, terrible. <laughs> he's not. He's not. Yeah, I also think like one of the biggest things that that this show does, and like going back to your points about failure, which I think is really important, is like it, like Uncle Iroh like lets Zuko fail, and like doesn't really tell him. He's like, "I told you in the beginning. Now you failed. You know, look, be introspective. Look at it for yourself. It'll kind of like it, like it's not like overbearing guiding." Zuko thinks it is, but when you're watching it, it's a lot of, like, teaching Zuko without teaching Zuko, because that's the only way that Zuko can be taught, if that makes sense. Like, you know, some people, you're going to yell at them, and they're not going to pay attention to what you're saying, and then other people, you have to, like, kind of, you know, come at it from the side, you know? Yeah, the show has relatable villains through and through. Um, from being sympathetic with Iroh to being sympathetic, sympathetic with Zuko to even some of the side characters who are villains in the show who yeah. kind of have they get they get like their own episode yeah. where they where you get to hear about their lives and kind of what they're going through and why they're doing what they're doing and you can't help but feel sympathetic yeah. for them too in Avatar the Last Airbender. You feel so one of the main villains in Avatar the Last Airbender is Azula, uh, Zuko's sister, who comes off as a uh, psychopath in a lot of ways who's dead set on just being perfect she's and she's amazing you, you know, that's the thing that's the thing she's amazing she has so much pressure put on her from her father and in season three you get to see more of her side of her own story and she's not just this like crazy villain she has death and she is really cruel and really sadistic throughout a lot of the series but the series is so brilliantly written to make you empathize and sympathize with these villains that you see you feel sympathy for Zula, you know, like in the last couple of episodes of season three, and you feel really sorry for her. And, and yeah, Kate, were you going to say something? No, I was going to say, I think actually when we're talking about this, it's not, I don't think it's really accurate to call them villains because I think right. The Last Airbender does it in a way that you understand why the majority of people are doing why they're what they're doing. Exactly. Um, everybody has a side. Except for Fire Lord Ozai, he's kind of well, a dick. Yeah, yeah, he, he's, a dick. <laughs> he's the only villain. The abusive father is the only villain. Yeah, and she's kind of a she's kind of a jerk because she threw a rock at a turtle duck when she was a kid. So I don't like her. <laughs> yeah, that's her, that's her, that's her worst action ever. <laughs> it really is her worst action. In my opinion, <laughs> whole show is her throwing a rock at the turtle duck. Um, all right. So I think from there we can go on to representation. Okay. How's that sound? Cool. Yeah, that's not, that's uh, and we'll just start just straight away with, um, the way women are represented in the show. Um, I like, 
I, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but I think there's like more women main characters in this show than there are male main Most characters. Other. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. At the very least, it's equal. And the thing about, you know, both the shows and especially in Legend of Korra, you know, there are definitely like more women characters like, you know, all throughout is that it's completely seamless. It's, um, it passes the Bechdel test you know, pretty flawlessly. And, you know, you have female characters, you know, like Katara and Toph, like who become really good friends and aren't talking about like a man or anything. They're just like talking about life and they're talking about their real issues and, you know, things that can be, that anyone can relate to. And it, again, in Legend of Korra, like you have women leaders at the forefront dealing with these large socio-political issues, you know, like the ones we're talking about communism, uh, anarchy and, uh, even fascism and these shows get really deep and it's the women in legend of Korra who are at the forefront um sort of like leading the conversation leading the uh, actions that are taking place and and you have amazing performances and you have um in addition to the characterization, like you have so many different types of women and so many different kinds of journeys happening consistently throughout. And you know, I will say, especially with Korra, with what she deals with in the later seasons of Legend of Korra, she deals with some a lot of trauma and PTSD. And that actually got lauded for how well that was portrayed. And um, you also have like, you know, in general, really, just like great representations of different people and different like types of people. Like, you know, we're talking about Sokka, we're talking about Aang, we're talking about Zuka, we're talking about Iroh, we're talking about so many different and rich um, characters that can be relate to through any sort of way. And again, I got giving my uh, hats off to the showrunners who wrote like these really incredible characters. So that was really well said, but I do at least want you can see. Can you give like everybody <clears throat> for anybody that may not know what the uh, Bechdel test the is? Oh yeah, sure. The, the like, yeah, the Bechdel test is literally just two women speaking on screen about something other than a man slash romance. That's it. Yeah. And you think that that's like a simple like bar? It's not. Well, no, I'm not <laughs> saying it's not. I'm just saying for people who did yeah. not know what that was. Right, right, totally. Uh, thanks, yeah. Matt. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that. So, do you have anything to add to that, Kate? From yeah, uh, the women's I, perspective, I, yeah. Uh, so, from the women's perspective, I think ultimately, I love the characterizations of women and men in this show for the same reasons I love the female characters in Sailor Moon. Is you don't get one type of person. So there's, and I talked a little bit on our Sailor Moon episode where it kind of with, with by having multiple female characters and by having them each have different positionalities so positions in the world influenced by their experiences they are able to exhibit different types of femininity and still be you know women and girls you know growing and learning and that's one of the reasons why i really like toff because like especially when i first started watching this show like i i love the color pink now i hated it hated it with a passion at a time in my life because I wanted to be sporty and I wanted to do, like, I didn't want to be weak and to me being feminine was being weak. Um, and so like, I've gone through my own transformation. And one thing that's helped me like really appreciate that is seeing shows like Avatar where multiple women that do different things are shown as being strong 
being pretty isn't being weak being you know and you see that with the fire sisters like they are all different types of women or you know women and girls who exhibit who they are differently in that they are still strong in doing that and in the same way like I think Sokka's journey is a really good point and even Zuko's to understanding that like you can be emotional and still be a man um obviously I'm not a dude so this would be an area for like Adrian and stuff to talk but just like mostly for me like it's showing that you can have emotions in different areas and still be strong as hell and you can sit down take a moment and like one of my favorite scenes is actually um I don't remember what episode it's from but Toph is airbending while she's crying or not uh, earth earth bending while she's crying and like that hit me in my heart like just square in my heart um because that's something that like is specifically in a lot of animes is they do make women hyper feminine and girls hyper feminine or like hyper cute um is probably a better term for anime um and here it lets you see all of those things like Toph is not the cute girl Toph is not the pretty girl but Toph also learns that you can be those things and still be strong and she can let that part of herself like go and so I think like as a show to show kids like this is a really good way to say like however you are and whatever you feel live that and you can still be strong because they have representation for all of those types of like personalities because it is very much a personality thing 100 percent. and i just want to add one more thing i relate a lot to what's done so seamlessly about these characters is that you know, whether you're male or female, you can relate to them very easily. My favorite character is Katara um, for how she has to deal with um, like sort of being a person to take responsibility for her family and who has to um, sometimes act as the emotional arbiter. I've had to deal with a lot of sort of family fights and stuff and I can relate to Katara like so easily for what she has to do and through... Um, finding like more confidence in herself and try to deal like with the pressures of the world around her. And again, it's just a testament to the amazing writing in this show that it really just breaks down those barriers. That's what it does so well. Yeah. Like you don't just have to love a male character. You don't just have to love a female character, just like just relate to who you want to relate to. And that's part of why this show is so popular and so important for kids. Like, I think it's one of those cases, like, where it's done in a way that, like, it's the character's actions that you see first. And you don't, like, you see their actions and you see what they're going through before you see anything else, which is really good. Yeah, and they all go through it in different ways, for sure. It's not, um, there's not, like, a standard that everyone's expected to kind of, kind of meet. And I think the best thing about it is that they all, like, let themselves go through these struggles. I think... So often, um, you know, what comes to mind is, is stuff like in the the Marvel Netflix series. You know, when someone kills someone or someone does something bad, like everyone's expected to like be something that they're not. Um, and I, I know with like obviously completely different kinds of shows, but like you know, for example, like when Katara is going through like having wanting to do uh, get revenge on the guy who killed uh, her mom, Ang lets her go, and uh, Zuko kind of like helps her go through that and at the end like Zuko understands like why she does what she does and everything like that um and some strong friendship bonds and what yeah. I would hope ha would happen in real life like it's real life they, they portray like if my, my friend was going through it I'd be like go through it 
I'll, I'll be here through every step of the way. I'm not going to tell you how I want you to act. Kind of like how you said with, with uh, Uncle Iroh. Like Uncle Iroh probably knows the, the best way for Zuko to, to be, but he lets him get there on his own, which I think is super relatable. And everyone from kids to adults can kind of like take that in their own like life journeys. Um, do you want uh, <laughs> Do you want to talk about uh, Korosami? Yeah, let's talk about Korosami. Yeah. So I love Legend of Korra with all my heart. One thing that bothered me like during the first two seasons was the constant shipping back and forth. There were a couple of episodes in which they were pairing up characters or not pairing them up, and it was just really frustrating, and I don't know why they were doing that. The fandom as a whole, Legend of Korra fandom, like really felt that as well. However, in season three, we started noticing something. Korra and Asami started spending a lot of time together. Korra, both Korra and Asami had dated a certain, spoilers, had dated a certain character, Mako. And uh, basically, things didn't really end well with him. Mako's still a great character, great dude on his own. But basically, people start detecting some sort of chemistry between Korra and Asami. And we all know how Tumblr and online fandom can be. And, you know, especially in terms of shipping, but the shipping with this one was really, really strong. And people started wondering, are the creators actually setting up a romance between Korra and Asami, the first like American lesbian romance, like, uh, you know, basically in history. And like at the final episode, Korra and Asami take a trip together at the end and they hold hands and they hold hands and look at each other in the eye. It's a very small thing. And obviously this was still on Nickelodeon, but after uh, the show ended, the creators confirmed that yes, Korra and Asami are now together. Korra Asami is canon and the internet exploded. You had like articles written in Vanity Fair about this, maybe even in the New York Times. And it was just so groundbreaking for LGBTQ people to see themselves like, you know, even though it wasn't like we didn't get to see the relationship like unfurl fully on screen, we got to see like the beginning of it. We got to see like I'm not LGBTQ, by the way, but I'm still someone who wants to see like that sort of representation in general. And, you know, as you guys know, with Star Wars Rep Matters, and it was just so amazing that like. Th this could actually be called canon and now you're seeing their relationship and romance actually displayed in the legend of Korra comic i've read both issues so far and it's done really really fantastically and actually in the avatar world it's a lot like our own world in that lgbtq people aren't you know fully accepted and basically even though it ultimately seemed small. It was a moment and a phenomenon that just meant so, so much to people like in the real world and in a way like helped to open doors later down the line. So, you know, Korosami matters so much and, um, you know, is like referenced by, you know, people all the time. Like I have uh, some lesbian and bi friends who, you know, a bi friend of mine, like actually mentioned to me once like that her other bi friend, she's a woman on the internet, even though she hasn't watched Legend of Korra, obviously she knows what Korra Sami is because it was that important. And I'm just like really grateful that the creators did this. And especially for Korra, my favorite character to find someone that she could genuinely love and be herself, her true self to. And uh, again, I love this series and how it ended. 
That's why I let you talk about it because I knew how passionate you passionate you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the Cora Bolin thing would have would have been, but hey, my 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 boy Bolin would have did it right. But I love Bolin and Opal together. That's a yeah, great relationship. Yeah, Bolin's great. He's one of my favorite characters in in uh, know, Legend of Korra. You know what my favorite ship is? What? Sokka and the Moon. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, let me watch that. I want Matt to watch that and cry. Oh, um, no. Kate, you're going to make me tear bend. <laughs> Why? Because it wanted to rip your heart out and make you feel bad. Is this like another falling kid out of the sky thing? No. <laughs> no. no. It definitely, definitely is not. It We're is going no, way no. Avatar lore is not nearly as convoluted as Sailor Moon lore. No, it's, it's okay. very straightforward. Um, oh, yeah. They kind of get very digestible things we're not getting any uh, moon babies everybody knew it was going to happen and the funny thing about sailor moon is that they seem to just be making up the lore as they went along right yes Yes. (laughs) babies falling from the sky (laughs) weird time travel reincarnation so is it so what i do want about this since you said there's a whole ritual and it was expected so is it actually more of his own fault for actually portraying this to make it your heart broken or was it just he didn't know yeah he didn't know so like he, so they're, she they're, they're visiting another tribe, essentially. Well, she didn't know until stuff happens. Like yeah. she knows what she has to do, but she didn't think that that thing was going to happen. Yeah, it's kind of like a prophecy type thing. It was. And yeah, it was more. She things. thought that she was going to get shipped off to go marry some like arranged marriage kind of thing. Is what mm-hmm. thought was going to happen, but some stuff happened, and there was broken hearts, and he's never going to love anyone like he loved her. Yeah. Even though Suki's That's really dope. funny. Oh, come on, he <laughs> loves Suki. But oh, he loves so Suki for First girlfriend yeah. was a moon. Yeah, can't, you can't really beat that. Yes, yes, her every single day. He looks up. He's yeah. like, oh, there she is. <laughs> I love this show. I, mean, I love this show so much. Does that mean that, like, if him and Suki do it outside, does that mean that she's walking? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not, but. That's where mine went. <laughs> this is a this wait, is a show wait. for children. Wait, wait. Sorry, I just have to say it was very heavily implied in season three that Sokka and Suki were having sex. Oh yeah, yeah uh, it definitely was. Sokka and Suki, and even uh, Zuko and and May too. Yeah, yeah. That is the same. We're pretty sure they were they were doing it. Uh, yeah. And they're like all like teenagers, yeah. which is yeah. which is great to think about. Yeah. Korra and Mako as well in Legend of Korra, for sure. Yeah. Um, with that said, we'll get into some some quick things that I think are just kind of like that I think are great about the show, but didn't really fit into any of like the major, but why those? I didn't want to like take away from any of them. The action sequences are amazing. A lot of that has to do with the fight choreography being done um they by them like consulting with like a real uh martial arts expert to do the fight choreography so all of the like Sora mentioned at the beginning of the episode with the different fighting styles everything is distinct like the airbenders fight like airbenders the waterbenders fight like waterbenders and that leaves for really great action sequences and visuals throughout both of the shows um lots of great lessons and quotes to live by I put one up in my wall today to motivate my students who are getting rejection letters from colleges. Um, and I would like to think that it's hope helping him through these very difficult times. Um, 
the humor is great and works for all ages. Like we just said, like there's some implied sexual innuendos going on, but there's also like really great kind of just like slapstick humor jokes that work really well. And the music is great too. Specifically in Legend of Korra, I think the music in Legend of Korra is much better than Avatar: The Last Airbender. So um, especially like the ending sequence of song is is really really good. Um, and some quick fun facts: Mark Hamill. Uh, Luke Skywalker. My boy Mark, yeah. <laughs> he voices the main bad guy in Avatar The Last Airbender, Fire Lord Ozai. And I don't know how this dude plays like the pinnacle of like virtue okay. in Star Wars, but can also just play just an abusive father and like the best villain in DC Comics. Like it's so crazy to me. He's so good at being the villain. And Mark just has like a wonderful inner insanity about, excuse me, a wonderful inner insanity about him that he gets out in his voice and he is able to do the most awesome, crazy things with it. But, you know, with like Ozai, it's basically a version of his Joker voice, but so much more chilling and so much more like, uh, you know, reined in, but still terrifying. And I love Mark Hamill so much. (laughs) Uh, some other notable voices from famous people that you might recognize: uh, Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' daughter, uh, Henry Rollins, Audrey Plaza. You mean Aubrey Plaza? Oh, okay, but uh, Aubrey Plaza. Don't worry, I was wondering who Rob Williams was. <laughs> I like Robin. You know, Williams, he's yeah. my homie. Rob Williams, <laughs> he's my homie. I like to think of him in a very positive light. Uh, uh, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza, Stephen Ewing, Glenn from The Walking Dead, uh, Jason Isaac, who basically his character is Commander Zhao, and his character was based off of his character from The Patriot. And I love it so much because yeah. I hate that character so much. And that yeah. is like, The Patriot is a movie I will watch so many mm-hmm. times, mostly. Well, that like one scene, like when he when he when his kid first dies, but like mostly because Jason Isaacs is just so terrible. Yeah, and Commander Zhao's mm-hmm. a dick. So he was also he's also, he's also, also like Malfoy. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. He's all he's also uh, Commander Zhao's also a guy who's like not very redeemable. That guy's just kind of a dick, like through and through, uh, in the show. Um, other people, uh, Greg Baldwin, who is a coup from Samurai Jack, and basically like, his voice doesn't change too much, and it's great. And I, and I'm totally okay with, um. Thinking Aku, but also thinking, yeah, uh, Uncle Iroh when I hear his voice. Yeah, uh, yeah, and- yeah, yeah. Sorry, the initial voice actor for Iroh was Mako Iwamatsu, um, who unfortunately passed away, like in season two of After the Last Airbender. So Greg yeah. Baldwin took over after him. It's really sad, and yeah. like Mako and- in Legend of Korra was named after him. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, is a great callback and good on the showrunners. And then you have Dante Bosco. Rufio is also a credited as a voice actor. And that's kind of all the fun facts that I have. Who is he the one that, who, does he do Zuko's voice? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, he's in so many freaking and like he does so much voiceover work. And that's yeah. how, like, obviously, I know him because of Rufio, but I mostly <laughs> know him because he's like in every animated series I watch. Yeah, basically every voice that you can think of any for that like kind of type of character, it, it's it's basically him. <laughs> I guess we can get into some fan, but why those, and then get out of here. So the first fan, but why though, 
Uh, and we got these from our Twitter. So thank you everyone for participating in that. Um, and I'm going to butcher just all of these Twitter handles because I'm going to read them as something else. And it's going to pop into my head later that they're not that. At Mallory Conlin. Uh, those themes, though, some of my faves. Aang staying true to himself and dealing with the problems his way. And Korra leaving her mark on the world despite it telling her to get lost. At- By the way, I do love, before we read the next one, us reading these from Twitter. Because you can tell that you have a very limited number of characters. Yes. When it's so hard to read half of these. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, at no lit class pod. Oh no. Gravity at huh? oh no. Oh no. What did I say? No. Oh, oh no. At oh no, lit class pod. Gravity Falls is probably my favorite cartoon of all time, but Avatar might be one of my favorite TV shows. Full stop. It was ahead of its time in so many ways, and rewatching it as an adult is still a joy. I can completely agree with that. Um, at David M. Gomez 91, Korasami, that is all. <laughs> at Zero Spazinator, well, being that I graduated with an Asian studies major, Japanese minor, and study in three martial arts currently, I love how it tends to incorporate some of the Asian culture as well as the martial arts that demonstrate the bending techniques. Um, we have one from Steven, uh, Suarez, co-host from Bentley Banthas. Um, oh boy. <laughs> and his But Why, though, uh, was about Zuko's struggle with revenge and forgiveness which i can totally agree with which i do want to say i remember jumping in on a thread that he had with suara because he had borrowed mm. the last airbender stuff and it was so awesome to get updates yeah. on that thread because he was talking about watching it with his daughter and it was just so amazing um, they, and it warmed my cold dead heart <laughs> they they both love Toph, by the way yeah Toph, Toph Bei fong she's the best she really is. I feel like she's like, okay, I love, we talked about Zuko a lot, but like everyone just wants to be Toph. Let's be real. I like Toph. And then our final but, fan, but why though, is from one of our Patreons, Nico. And uh, one of our writers and at whythepodcast.com because we have writers. We do. <laughs> Go read the blog. Suara, at least one. Yes, yep, you did. Tomorrow is also a writer. Yeah. We got a community yeah. going, guys. Come join yeah. us. Uh, and his ha- uh, Twitter handle is at Nicola. And we'll post all these on the thing. Cause it- at what? <laughs> huh? What the hell did you say? <laughs> at Darth Nicola. You said Nicola. Nicola? Nicola? That looks like Nicola. It says Darth. Say Darth. I said Darth. <laughs> Yes, I did. We have it on audio. Suarez covered face because he knows. Oh, you. What is, I'm, I'm playing this shit back to you over and over again. Oh my god, I love you guys. Um, and his one is a little lengthy, but uh, it's you can feel you can really feel the love in this fan. But why though? He sent it to me in a picture of a word document. Uh, so this is much longer than 280 characters as we go through this, but it's also written in correct grammar, so it should be easier to read. Uh, I absolutely love Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. I am 22, and I'm not afraid to admit that I watch these shows religiously at least once a year. I watched the first episode of Avatar when it came out on TV when I was a kid. I was hooked from the beginning. Now, as an adult, I still watch it, and it's still an amazing experience. 
The adventures and lessons I learned by watching Aang and his friends have been a huge part in developing my point of view and the way I go about life. I specifically chose to name my two dogs, Appa and Momo. They were such great companions to Aang. Korra is amazing. Uh, even though I was a bit skeptical, I was a bit skeptical of the show at first. That was easy. That easily turned around after the pro bending championship match episode. The art style from the series was incredible. The fight choreographies were just jaw dropping. I also like the steampunk slash biostock Bioshock style vibe that in that that era gives off in the show. Uh, I definitely love the boundaries that the show crosses with the series finale made me care about the show a lot more. I absolutely recommend these shows for children, adults, and anyone in between. I'm sure you'll find something about it that you'll come back to time and time again, just like I did. I can only hope that many of you enjoy this show in all of its wonder and fantasy. In this so, one. Thank you, Nico. Um, he actually, if you're interested, he has a pro wrestling WWE blog up right now that he just put out and it's on women's representation in wrestling. Oh which yeah, I was saw that. Yeah. Really cool. Very cool. Okay. Shameless plugs are over. Well, plugs. <laughs> is, is it a shameless plug if it's our podcast? Like, can we just plug all we want? Is it our plug? And I mean, it's, it works. It's your, it's your podcast. You should plug whatever you want. Yeah. Our introduction to Pop is basically like in a wrestling WWE style, like earthbending thing. So it, it all it all comes together. It all works. We should put out Patreon content. We're just reading blogs. Oh my god! Chapter one. <laughs> okay. But that's it. That's all I got. And the world is now balanced, and we can move on with. Our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Never. I'm gonna watch this series like again and again until I die. I love it. I love it. So oh, same. Yeah. It's probably it's it's definitely added to my yearly rewatch. Yeah. It, it, I think it's like either yearly or like every two years or so for me. Yeah. It's just so, so good. So, uh, final thoughts. I think. This is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, television series of all time for all the various issues it tackles and for the way it definitely handles its characters in relation to those wider themes. And it's so, so beautiful in terms of how it's written, in terms of how it looks, in terms of these characters we have. And everyone should watch this show. This show should be put down in history as like one of the best ever made. And I will you know stay on that island for like the rest of my life i love this series with all my heart i got everybody goes to a hill spar go to an island <laughs> well that's what i meant my my hill my island you know what i mean hey it's fine you can go wherever you want his, <laughs> yeah, his airbending temple like, or water tribe hut <laughs> exactly picture, yeah i just picture suara saying fuck this i'm done and like leaving the world and <laughs> With nothing but a box set of Avatar and Korra DVDs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly what I would do. Um, I guess for me, um, kind of pretty much spilt my heart when it came to representation in the show. That's one of the reasons why I loved it. One of the reasons I'll still stick to it. Toph is amazing. And uh, I mean... It's, just, it's a powerful show. It's a powerful show, and when you watch it, and I'm really glad that Adrian went the non-spoiler route, because I spoil, spoiler route, because I spoil the crap out of everything, and this is definitely a show that if, if you're going to get into it, like, going into those moments fresh, 
it, it's gonna you're gonna feel it so i learned a lot today <laughs> <laughs> you learned a lot about communism I know the fact that this was one made on Nickelodeon blew my mind, and the fact that we literally related communism to a Nickelodeon show is still yeah. awesome. Communism, yeah. colonialism, and cute animals. The three C's: yeah, global, global warming, DCCG. Yeah. yeah. Technically, if you went to climate change, you. Oh have, yeah, the four, oh, C's. four C's. Thanks, man. <laughs> oh my God, communism, colonialism, C's. cute animals, and climate change. That's all that the show is about. That's awesome. It is. There you go. On a random side note, basically, we talked a lot about Tai Chi because of different things. And ever since, basically, Iron Fist, I can't take Tai Chi serious anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because if you're going to be an action star, maybe make that not your only martial art that you learn. Oh, my God. For 15 no. minutes a Wait. day. All right. All right. I, I didn't even watch Iron Fist. Ben and Jones. that's what he does. He, he uses Tai Chi. What? Well, no, he doesn't use Tai Chi. Finn Jones only practiced Tai Chi to get ready for this role. A very <laughs> physically intensive role. Oh, he only God. did Tai Chi. Listen, if you can't bend water, Tai Chi is useless. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I, see, I knew bringing Marvel Netflix in, it wasn't too big of a stretch. See, yeah. it all comes around. It all it's comes all connected. Around. It's all connected. <laughs> But no, it was very informative, and obviously, it also surprised me, like I said, because of how, I said earlier, how there's only literally two shows with three se- with three seasons and four seasons and recently, but how much it apparently has infected, infected, <laughs> uh, affected a lot of people, and how much is definitely loved. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I kind of ran the episode, so like, I think everything's kind of my final thought. Um, I think parting uh i don't think it gets enough talk with people i think more people need to go back and rewatch it it definitely ages well uh i think it'll all i think it'll always age well unless like there's some super huge jump in animation the, style the funny thing is you say age well but the last one just ended in 2014 yeah yeah but you know you know how time works man <laughs> people, people think just people, yeah people think stuff is dated super quick um i think it, it's super well Talks a lot about things that can be useful in your everyday life. Uh, you'll feel stuff. You'll laugh. You'll be amazed at the action sequences. Just don't watch the M. Light Shyamalan movie, and you'll be fine. Stay far and away from that. <laughs> do you want to close us out, or do I do? You close uh, us out. You, I, what is this? <laughs> okay. So, Suara, thank you so much for coming on to our show. You are a member of the But Why Though family. Um, so tell everybody where and how they can find you. So I am the co-host of Beltway Banthas, uh, as well as being a very uh, happy and like proud member of the But Why Though family. Um, but Beltway Banthas is the Star Wars and politics podcast in which me and my co-host Stephen Kent talk about all the intersections of politics and Star Wars in any way you can imagine it. And you can find us on Twitter at Beltway Banthas. You can find us on iTunes and Find me on Twitter at Swarasale1. That's S-W-A-R-A-S-A-L-I-H-1. And you can find Stephen on Twitter at StephenKen underscore 89. That's Stephen with a P-H. So what does a one in your name mean? 
Oh my god. Oh, oh, th- oh, that's just because that's just because like I had made one Twitter account with Sparsella and I and I, I forgot it. and I had forgotten the password. Yes, I knew it. Somebody already owned one. the one that was not already taken, <laughs> so, so you had to put a one. A reference to our fifty question our, our fiftieth episode where we did questions and Matt just started talking about numbers and names. Gotcha. Gotcha. You see, Matt would love soccer. They both love numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so as always, you can find the podcast at But Why Though PC on Twitter. It's our most active source of social media, but you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash But Why Though PC. We have shirts for sale on our T Public storefront. You can come join us on our Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all our research notes, episodes early, and for $3, you get special content, including all of the episodes we make handcrafted with love and movie watching for our $10 patrons. So uh, check that out, patreon.com slash butwhythopc, and make sure you stop by our website, butwhythopodcast.com, where we have an awesome team and family of writers that cover all the topics from tabletop reviews to representation to just pretty much everything you can think of in pop culture. Um, and you can find me at omymithrandier on Instagram and Twitter. Adrian? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S U P E R R U I Z 93. Matt? And you can find me on the Twitter at datm18, D A T T M 18. Suara, how do you want to go out? Uh, to the Avatar theme song, of course. Okay. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> a remix of this Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to loop that over and over again? Yep. No. no. I did it with no. the Game of Thrones one. <laughs> she did do the Game of Thrones one. Uh, uh, man. No, but the actual theme song. Yeah.